Looking for work, better pay, better work environment? We can help. Call Kelly Jobs today at 502-425-7131 to speak with a recruiter today. Score a better job with us. Call 502-425-7131 or visit kellyjobs.com. That's kellyjobs.com. Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com careers. That's opcpest.com careers. You're listening to Dan Issel and Louis Rabot on ESPN 680 and 1057. Now, here's Dan and Louie. And welcome back to the 11 o'clock hour. This is Issel and Louie on ESPN 680, 105.7 and the Louisville, ESPN Louisville app, however you're listening. Thanks for joining us today. Louie's on vacation uh, sitting in for Louie is our good friend Cam Drummond from the Lexington Herald Leader. This hour of the show is brought to you by Delta Dental of Kentucky. Whether you're looking for dental coverage for your employees or an individual or family policy, Delta Dental of Kentucky has you covered with a nationwide network of dentists. Plus, they offer Delta Vision, a comprehensive vision plan through VSP. Enrolling in a dental or vision plan is easy. You can call them at 1-800-955-2030, or you can always visit them online at ky.deltadental.com. Okay, Cam, University of Louisville raising the 2013 championship banner to the rafters on Saturday night. However, it won't say NCAA champs on it. It'll say uh, the number one team in the coaches' poll in 2013 where where do you come down on this i always like to measure my basketball success based on the coaches poll i think that's the best indicator um no it's it reminds me how so- many how, how many coaches do you think actually vote in that po- poll as in like they're the one deciding the vote not like the right. SID or whoever they're exactly. passing it off to exactly 10 percent, 15 percent there's just and it's not even their fault right they just i mean why would they have the time to do that how would you find the time that if you're spending time on the coaches poll, that's time you could spend actually trying to make your team, you know, good at basketball or watching <laughs> film or recruiting or whatever. It's got to be like 10, 15 percent, right? Yep. At, at, at the most, at the most. Now, why would you take time or more importantly, why would you care? Right. Yeah. Why would you? Yeah. Why would you care? That's, a, that's actually a great point of it. But then, this reminds me so much of the banner at Assembly Hall for the 76 uh, Indiana Hoosiers team, the NCAA's number one all-time March Madness team banner. It hangs, I think, below. I think it's called the Spirit of 76 Club um, or something. It's got some name. It's like where the overhang is behind one of the baskets uh, where like some of the, the fancy rich people sit. And it's funny, in my group chat, I'm in with Jack and, uh, and a couple other of the kids that we went to, to IU with and did sports media with. They've already done like the, the Photoshop of it, right? Like taking the 1976 NCAA March Madness all-time team banner and Photoshopping over 2013 final coaches poll number one. And it's <laughs> seamless. You know, I can just picture it right now. 
<laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't know where they're going to hang it at the Yum Bucket. I don't know, you know, on what side it's going to be on, what the banner is going to look like, what the color of it's going to be, whatever. But I mean, it, it, it's just funny, right? Like, there's nothing you can do but kind of have like a wry smile about it and kind of laugh. It, it's pretty harmless as well. Like, I mean, it's not like this is actually going to like offend anyone or whatever. But it's just the fact that they're still clinging on to, to something to, to honor that team, which obviously amazing team. You won the national title. Everyone knows you won the national title. But I, I don't know, it feels it feels real cheesy to me just to have it say "Final Coaches Pulled Number One." I don't know what I don't know what other words or numbers or phrases they could have used. Instead of that, but going with the coaches poll just just seems lame, right? See, what I would have done, and I, I I said this long ago, I'd I'd hang I'd hang the banner, I'd hang the 2013 NCAA championship banner, I'd hang it right back up there because the NCAA isn't going to do anything. I mean, look at look at what Louisville was charged with. Look look at the the violations that had piled up uh, under Slick Rick, a- and and they get fined $5,000, that's the penalty? I'd, I'd stick my nose so far up in the air <laughs> uh, against the NCAA. I'd, I'd, put the, I'd put the banner right back up there and dare the NCAA to come in and take it down. You can start uh, soliciting some public donations to pay the $5,000 fine if it starts recurring on like a rolling basis then? <laughs> Absolutely. That's what, the, uh, that's what the personal seat licenses can go toward, the PSLs. Exactly. Or no, you wouldn't have to do that. You, you could start a GoFundMe account <laughs> for, to raise $5,000 to keep the banner up there. You, you'd probably raise $100,000. The, the, the people talking about, and, and like I'll listen to a bunch of the, the post-game shows, um, that, especially the Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Kentucky post-game shows after games just to kind of gauge where where people are at and stuff the amount of people who want to to raise the gofundme to try and pay john calipari's buyout yeah yeah. if you think that would get like you know get some donations and get some traction imagine having one that was just set at like five thousand dollars just to pay the ncaa to let you have that banner or to pay off the fine yeah no if i was josh hurd i'd put it up there I'd, I'd put it up there and dare the NCAA to come in and, and, and make me uh, take it down. Now, you, uh, Kenny was already gone when you got to Lexington. He'd already moved on to the Knicks, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so you don't you, you don't know Kenny or no. don't know him that there was, well. There was anyway. n- there's, there's been no crossover beyond me paying attention to, to Louisville this year. And also, a couple weeks ago in Frankfurt, the big DJ Wagner, Aaron Bradshaw showcase event that happened at Kentucky State had... John Calipari, Chin Coleman, had Nolan Smith, Kenny Payne all courtside for the game. For and Louisville was there for for Trenton Flowers mainly, the the five star from the other team in that game, uh, Combine Academy in North Carolina. But I've seen Kenny Payne saunter across a basketball court in close proximity, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, uh, so, uh, so give me where do you come down? Uh, uh, is is uh, do you are you in the camp that? Kenny Payne can't coach and we got to get him out of here or uh, Kenny has no talent and he certainly deserves more of an opportunity than this year. I mean, I could try and, I guess, give some kind of nuanced take where, like, yeah, he's going to have an adjustment to being a college basketball coach, but also the roster was left kind of bare of talent, you know, aside from L. Ellis, so he didn't have a ton to work with. But, I mean, I'll just, I don't think he's a good college basketball coach. I mean, we can just kind of say that. I, I think the adjustment, not only from an on-court X's and O's perspective, 
not only from a programming program building perspective, but also just roster recruitment. And it's not just like they swung and missed on the transfer portal entering this season, which they did. It's not like they've kind of swung and missed on a lot of recruits, both in the 23 and 24 classes, which they also have. But it's just the idea of having to overcome where he set the program back so far, right? Like, I I think there's been enough of a track already showing that the X's and O's in-game acumen isn't great. Showing the progress for a team during the course of a season isn't great. And also the fact that they're not going to have demonstrably better talent coming in next year, save from landing a big transfer, transfer portal player or two. And also what gives you the faith that they would be able you know, to land a big transfer portal player or two. I, I just don't see it happening. I, I think you probably have to give them another year just, like, just to do it. You know, I don't know. I don't know what good firing him after one year and hiring, you know, kind of a whatever mid-major coach is available would do. Just because I think that almost compounds the issue. But I don't think it's going to work out. I mean, I, that's not exactly me, you know, going out on a limb or anything. It's just, it's well, not good. It's just really not good, no, and I don't see it, it getting it's better. Terrible. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's terrible. I agree with you on one point. And totally disagree with you on another point. All right, let's hear now. It. Where, where, where I agree with is, uh, if you're going to be critical of Kenny and, and this all-star staff that he's put together with uh, Danny and and Smith and and the rest of them, uh, if you're going to be critical, yes, they had to know that what they were inheriting here was not good, and and the fact that they didn't go out and get. A decent player you know and and uh, Huntley Hatfield I guess was the best thing they got out of the transfer portal and he's disappeared I don't even know where he is what his story is he'll he'll be gone next year but and the recruitment um, not only did they lose uh, the, the thing that I laugh at Cam is when they say well they lost the recruiting battle with DJ Wagner <laughs> that that was no battle yeah that, that was I mean, uh, no contest yeah 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 that was no battle so they didn't lose the battle a- and they couldn't even get kids to come visit the campus I mean you know and so it, it that part if you want to criticize him for that then I, I think that's legitimate. And, and if he doesn't, as you said, he doesn't have any any young kids. I, I mean, I think he's got two three-star players that have committed so far. And, and so he's not going to have much out of a recruiting class. If he doesn't go into the portal and, and come up not with one good player, but three or four good players, then I think the end it will come quickly. But the part I disagree with is that he can't coach. And I'm not saying he can, but you can't convince me that he can't coach with this group of talent he has on this roster. So are you, it, are you, are you saying more that the talent is like capping the ceiling of what can be accomplished from a coaching standpoint then? No question. No question. They've got one kid that could make Kentucky's roster. One in my estimation. And that's and that's L. Ellis. I, I don't see I don't see another player. And, and as bad as Kentucky's playing this year, I, I don't see another player on this roster that could make Kentucky's team. No, I think they're, that's just, fair. Yeah. they're not good. 
But I mean, at, at the same time, though, like it's, it's it's the thing like who is responsible, right, for having the lack of talent on the roster? Because part of the whole transfer portal thing too is talent identification and recruitment. It's a holistic thing running a college basketball program. And until you mentioned, you mentioned kind of the the assistant coaching staff that's surrounding him. I'm not sure what value he's getting from from Danny Manning, right? I'm not sure what value he's getting from Nolan Smith. I know Nolan Smith is the point guy for just about all the recruiting and recruitment that Louisville is doing. That being said, they're not really getting that many good players recruiting-wise. No. Caleb, no, Caleb Glenn will be a nice player. Curtis Williams, uh, the, the small forward they got coming out of Michigan, I think is a bit more raw, probably needs a little bit more time. So they'll be nice pieces, but they're pieces, right? You, they need a guy. They need some, not even a top-level star, but just someone who's going to be able to handle the rock, who can score the ball, who can get you a bucket when you need to. And, and they've swung and missed on all of them, and that's a top-down systems failure. Yeah, I, I I agree with that part of it. I agree with that part of it. And and you, you have to give him another year. I mean, just because of his connection with the program and who right. he is and, and what he stands for. He has to – what 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 in your estimation does Louisville have to do to get Kenny to year number three next year? I, I, was, I mean, I don't want to say make the NCAA tournament because that feels like a bridge too far, but just like <laughs> 500 in ACC play – Right, respectability. Um, not losing. Let's start by not losing by 34 at Pitt. It's Pitt. I know Pitt's kind of okay this year, but still, 34 points at Pitt. Forgettable game. They probably have to show up, you know, a lot better for the home game against Kentucky, just from a morale standpoint. I mean, not losing what all of your buy games to Bellarmine, Wright State, App State, uh, Lipscomb. You know, take care of business in the non-con. Maybe you start stacking some wins. Maybe you show some growth. Um, but, but also, yeah, it's just growth as a program because it's not only going to be whatever the final record is at the end of a pres- presumed year two for Kenny Payne. It's the fact that from the start of the season to the end of the season, they got better. They demonstrably showed improvement in certain levels, certain areas of the game. And I'm not sure you can say that for them so far this season. But I will say that Louisville will be home again tomorrow night at the Yum Center against Virginia, and ESPN Louisville is your play-by-play home for Louisville (laughs) basketball. 5.30 p.m. pregame, 7 p.m. play-by-play, Paul Rogers and Bob Valvano on the call. Around 9.30 p.m., you can never be sure with those media timeouts, we'll have the Coors Light postgame show with Ethan Moore. All tomorrow night, you're home for the cards, 93.9 The Ville and the ESPN Louisville app. You're terrific. <laughs> that guy, a nice little chuckle out of you. You're you're terrific. That's great. So, uh, what kind of a chance do you give them to beat Virginia? Oh man, I've seen even going back to when I was at Indiana and just starting to know Jack and starting to become friends with the, the folks I know in the Louisville area. The, the 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 just the Virginia thing, the Virginia and in the Yum Center thing specifically is so funny to me. Although I will say, actually, you can get tickets as low as $17 right now per ESPN for the game. So the getting the door price is, is pretty cheap for that. I mean, that being said, uh, I, I would put it somewhere around like 18 points, 20 points. I'm trying to look here with the... I don't have the, the betting line for it in front of me, but it looks like the ESPN basketball matchup predictor is giving them... It was giving Virginia a 96.8% wow. chance of victory, which wow. almost seems not high enough. I'd maybe bump that up to 98%. I'm feeling a bit frisky right now. <laughs> well, I, the one thing I will say, uh, and I watched uh, Miami and North Carolina play last night, 
Uh, that shows you what kind of life I have, Cam. Uh, <laughs> but um, Louisville, offensively against Miami, Louisville played really well. I mean, they shot the ball well. They got nice performances out of L, obviously a career high. A nice performance out of Withers. The problem with U of L is they can't guard anybody. They can't guard a post. Right. And so, um, you know, I don't think – I think Miami might have been looking – a quick turnaround. They play Saturday at home. They played uh, last night at North Carolina, and they won that game. So um, – but, uh, yeah, where, where – you know, North Carolina is another team exactly where Kentucky – is yeah. I mean, they were they were the preseason. They were the number one team in the country, and they're looking at not making the NCAA tournament. Uh, where do you, where do you put the ACC as a whole, Cam? I mean, it's not great. Uh, I want to say it's maybe. I think I saw some some kind of Ken Palm numbers the other day. Some kind of analytics that was putting it as the the sixth best league in the country this season. Um, I mean, it's not good top to bottom, or at least the the elite of the ACC is not good compared to the elite of the Big 12, the SEC, even even the Big 10, you know, obviously where Purdue's residing, where Indiana is, even like a Rutgers-type team. And, and there have been some, some positive surprises in, in the ACC this year in terms of teams that maybe you didn't think were going to be super good, like a Clemson, per se, that's sitting there fourth in the ACC right now. Um, obviously, Florida State, which is kind of a, a bellwether in that conference, hasn't been good this year. Um Syracuse is kind of continuing its decline, sadly, you know, in the final years of Jim Beheim being their head coach. Um, you know, NC State's had some nice moments as well. It's not a great conference. It's not a great year for the ACC. But the thing is, like, we say this every year or we say this, you know, the years that we say it. And then they go out and put three or four teams in the Sweet 16. Like, it just somehow works out in March Madness, and I don't know how to explain it. It's just, it, you know, it, it's better to peak at the right time, I guess. Maybe those teams, yep. quote-unquote, know how to win in March. But they, I mean, Louisville won't be in that contingent, obviously. Um, no. But they know how to do it somehow. So I, I do want to be kind of measured in my like ACC bashing or ACC takes, if only for the fact that you know we say this a lot, and then they just show up, and a couple teams have a nice run in the NCAA tournament, and maybe that you know makes it a good season, right? Like Miami last year in the NCAA tournament, for example. Um, you know, it, I guess it just kind of depends how you evaluate what is a good season, what is a bad season. I think Virginia's pretty good. Uh, I could see Miami doing some things in the tournament, maybe NC yep. State. They, Miami's good now. Yeah. I mean, they don't they don't have many holes on that team. They went into North Carolina and and they, you know, they pretty much shot that team down. Yeah, I remember Nigel Pack from from my days at Indiana. Uh, I think he's a he's a Lawrence North kid, I want to say. I think he's from Indianapolis. Um yeah, he's he's great. He's a dog. You know, Jim Laranega, coach has been there, done that, knows knows how to get his teams ready for March. But even then, like, I don't know, I still struggle to see Pitt doing anything in the tournament, even a Clemson type. Um, you mentioned, you know, North Carolina sitting there squarely on the bubble. You know, Duke will probably annoy a bunch of people once they get into the tournament and get placed with a, a lower seed than they usually have. Um, but, but you're right, Miami is a solid, solid basketball team. Yeah. Um, um, the uh, AP poll, uh, we've already uh, made fun of the coaches poll, so we won't mention that. But uh, <laughs> the AP top 25 came out. I found it interesting. Of course, Purdue uh, P- Purdue lost at Indiana and, and remained number one. 
Uh, and then they went in and got beat by the Northwestern Mildcats. And so <laughs> hey, they, that's, that's they, some Chris Collins erasure. They're having a very nice year this season. They are. How they dare are. you? No, I'm a, I'm a huge Northwestern fan. If if I hadn't gone to Kentucky, I probably would have gone to Northwestern. And I have my daughter and my son-in-law both graduated from Northwestern. I oh, love, wow. Yeah. I love, I love Northwestern. Um, but uh, – but they had to drop after losing two games uh, here recently. They had to drop. I found it interesting that the AP poll had Alabama leapfrog Houston to the number one spot. Uh, I, I don't know if that's more a reflection on how good Alabama is or how, how questionable the teams that Houston are beating. I think it's both. I mean, I think when, you know, obviously Alabama, with it understood that the SEC has not been this elite juggernaut of a league that maybe a lot of people thought it would be in November or December, Alabama is still beating better teams on a day-to-day basis, week-to-week basis than Houston is. That's not to say Houston is not still, you know, an incredibly good team, going to be, you know, probably a one a one on the seed line, assuming that they win the AAC tournament, take care of business, maybe get some help in other places, but... Alabama is the best team in the country, at least right now, especially with Purdue's recent downturn, especially with, um, you know, even a, even a Texas dropping that matchup last night to, to Texas Tech, you know, no chance of them really supplanting themselves, you know, as, as an elite dominant team. I think Alabama is a pretty clear number one. I don't think it's too close right now. Yeah. Did you see Bur- uh, Bruce Pearl's comments after they beat uh, after they beat his team? I didn't. He's, you want to share this? He, he said... He said, we're playing really good basketball. He said, we're just not playing good enough basketball to beat the best team in the country. Right. That's, that's what he said about Alabama. And, and I'm not so sure that, that, he, that he's not right. Um, don't sleep on Kansas. I'm going um, a week from Saturday, Cam. I'm making my first visit to the fog. Oh, that's going to be big time. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really anxious. I've, I've been to a lot of uh, big venues around the country, but I've never been to Kansas. I'm going to go to a game. Uh, a good friend of mine uh, played at Kansas. His son played at Kansas. I'm going to go visit him and, and go to the game. I think they play West Virginia uh, a week from Saturday. But uh, don't don't sleep on that team. Uh, the, the one team, and I don't know if you have a chance because. You know, they're on the West Coast, and their games are so late. But I get a chance. I've seen them play several times. I think the most overrated team in the top ten is UCLA. Really? Well, I was in I was in New York City. I was at Madison Square Garden for the – oh, what was it? It's not the Champions – the, uh, the, the CBS Sports Classic. That's what it's called for the UCLA-Kentucky game. So I was, right. I was boots on the ground at MSG watching Kentucky score only 53 points against UCLA in that kind of a rock fight game where neither offense – was super good, but but what's your what's your rationale there? What what, what don't you like about the Bruins? I I just uh, I I don't I don't give much credence to the teams they're beating. Uh, outside of outside of Arizona, I don't think there's a decent basketball team in the Pac-12 or Pac-10 or Pac-2, whatever it's down <laughs> to now. So uh, it's the 12 still, I promise you. <laughs> so and your Hoosiers, I mean. They've lost seven games this year, but they're playing really well. And Trace Jackson, I mean, Davis is playing out of his mind. Uh, you, you've got to like their chances. They're up to number 14 in the poll. Yeah, me and Louie had, had a little back and forth on it, I guess, last week, last Tuesday, whenever you guys 
last unlock the studio and let me wander inside somehow. <laughs> and I think Lurie was saying that he, ceiling for them, Final Four team. He thinks they can make the Final Four. I think I capped it at Elite Eight, but they're playing as good as anyone in the country right now. Obviously, TJD has the ability to completely take over a game, to, to you know put the team on his shoulders. You, you got to like what they're, they're getting more consistently kind of from, from backcourt players as well, especially when you know once you get a, a fully healthy Xavier uh, Johnson as well. I'm actually going to be in Bloomington this weekend, I got a bachelor party uh, that I'm, I guess, coordinating, hosting, whatever the Ooh. best, whatever the best man does. But part of it is, uh, it's a, it's one of my friends from college who I went to Indiana with, and part of it is we all have tickets to Indiana, Illinois. I guess it's noon on Saturday, so I'm actually not going to be at the Kentucky Tennessee game. I got the weekend off, so I'll be at, I'll be at Assembly Hall for that one. So I'll actually get kind of a an in person, you know, eyes and ears look at, at what Indiana looks like in person here as the f- number fourteen team in the country. Yeah, that's another venue I've never been to that I'd, really? like, to, that that's I'd like to see. Yeah, we didn't uh, we didn't play Indiana when I was uh, when I was at Kentucky. Well, it's funny, and I was having this discussion with Louis as well, just about you know I think the the entry point to it was him asking me about the Kentucky fan base versus the Indiana fan base, how I thought they stacked up against each other or whatever. But I also have some friends who are just you know college basketball crazed fans who've been asking me. We've been kind of going back and forth on like our bucket lists, like you know venues that they want to see, and I have informed them or guided them that I think Assembly Hall is a much better must-see venue, must-experience basketball game than Rupp Arena. Hmm. And I don't know how controversial, how hot that take is, but I just think the way that Assembly Hall is designed, how unique it is, what they have on the concourses, all the kind of interactive exhibits, the the facade on the outside of it, just the the, the way it feels inside there. Rupp has always felt a bit commercial, a bit like sterile to me. And obviously the Encore product is usually pretty good. But just, I, I don't know, I feel like when I walk around Rupp Arena, I would like to know... I would like there to be a better sense that Kentucky basketball plays here rather right, than this is right. just the space well, that they occupy. You, know, it, it, you make a great point because Assembly Hall was built yeah. for Indiana basketball. Uh, Rupp Arena was built for a lot of things, including Kentucky basketball. So Now, that being said, I think Assembly Hall has the steepest staircase in the world. I think it's steeper than some of the pyramids in Egypt and... Whatever those things are they build in South America, like the Incas in Peru and everything. But I do want to take this opportunity to say that we just talked about a bunch of top 25 basketball teams, some of the best in the country. We don't have that tonight, but we do have Wisconsin against Michigan, 8.45 p.m., ESPN 680, 105.7, and the ESPN Louisville app. Very nice. Now, uh, after the break, we do True Crime Tuesday. And so keep an eye out for Avery. Because this is her deal, and she gets a little wrapped up in in this. So. Oh, I'm just I'm just gonna let her cook. Yeah, she can have okay. this. That's and, fine. And you I also tone it down a little so that he doesn't have me committed. <laughs> but just uh, a little. And also, who uh, who brings who brings food in today that you can eat, Avery? Raising Kate. Yeah, Cam, you've got to do now. Now you've got this this read. You have a lot to live up to because Louie puts his heart and soul oh, man. In, in the Raising Cane read. Well, so, yeah, I was, I'm a so, huge Raising Cane's guy, so it won't take okay. a, it won't take me a ton to get worked up in you know kind of in a lather when I'm thinking about cane sauce and a nice caniac. But you know what makes Raising Cane so craveable, Dan? It could be the marinated hand battered chicken fingers <laughs> that are always always prepared fresh. They're cooked to order. Maybe it's that sauce I just talked about. It's addictive. 
tangy, voted the number one most craveable sauce in the United States, these United States, two years in a row and counting. So no matter why you crave canes, it's always freshly made and constantly craved. Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers, one love. Hey, hey, you better you better tell Ben Wally Pip Roberts to watch out. You're coming you're coming for his spot. We'll be back after the break uh, with True Crime Tuesday on Issel and Louie right here on ESPN 680 105.7. Welcome back to Dan Issel and Louis Rabot on ESPN 680 and 1057. Now, here's Dan and Louis. And welcome back in the final segment on this Valentine's Day Tuesday. And of course, this hour of the show is brought to you by our friends at Delta Dental of Kentucky. Whether you're looking for an individual policy, family policy, a policy for your employees, Delta Dental has you covered. You can always contact them by calling 1-800-955-2030, or you can visit them online at ky.deltadental.com. Sitting in for Louie today, our friend from the Lexington Herald-Leader, Cam Drummond. Cam, I just got a text from your man, Jack Crean. Uh, <laughs> he, he says he reported that you used to drive from Bloomington to Louisville just to get the Canes chicken. That's right. Well, now there's a Raising Canes in Bloomington on Kirkwood Avenue, which is like kind of the main street that feeds into Indiana University, has all the bars and restaurants and stuff. But back when I was in school, uh, that didn't exist. The Canes only came in like a year ago, year and a half ago. So yeah, sometimes if we were real bored, which was somewhat often, we would drive (laughs) all the way from Bloomington to Louisville, you know, get Canes, eat Canes, maybe buy a second one just to have, and then drive back. So I did that at least three times off the top of my head. There you go. There you go. Well, uh, I'm sorry that you're here on a Tuesday, Cam, (laughs) because it's time the Madam of the Macabre, our own Avery, crack with a K producer, uh, it is time for, and this was a strange one, Avery, True Crime Tuesday. Yeah, this this one is quite weird. I will say that. So I've actually been wanting to do this particular case for a while. And I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. And I even asked Cam. That's your name. Um, it is, yeah. Very good. He, <laughs> yes. For any recommendations. And he had none. So then I'm just like, okay, yeah, let's just do this one. Okay. Plus it dials it back a little bit. I mean, there's arson. There's kidnapping. There's attempted murder. We've got the whole kitchen sink. <laughs> All right. So this is from December, literally Christmas Day of 1945, Fayetteville, West Virginia. Um, it's the Sauter family. Or as some might say, Fayetteville. Yeah, that too. <laughs> That's another pronunciation. We don't like that one. Um, May- maybe in West Virginia they do pronounce it Fayetteville. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is the Sauter family. Five uh-huh. of their children, Maurice, Martha, Louie, Jenny, and Betty, they disappeared. Um, they just completely vanished, basically. However, it's possible that they did not fully vanish because they believe there were sightings. All mm. right, so the Sauter family, they were 
they were one of the most respected family, like upper, lower middle class, somewhere in the middle class families in the town. And of course they were because crimes always happen to the most respected, the people you wouldn't expect to happen. Exactly. Yep. Because of course. Um, <laughs> so Christmas Eve, George and Jenny, the parents. Yes, there is a daughter named Jenny and a mom named Jenny. Okay. Same, same thing. They weren't very creative with their names because they also have a son named George. (laughs) Well, they had to come up with nine of them. I mean, you know, you got... (laughs) Yeah. Well, like, they technically had ten kids. I only have the names of nine of them. Oh, okay. Um, So they go to bed um, technically, like, super late because they were doing their Christmas Eve tradition, open a couple presents the night before, and then save the rest for Christmas. That's what I did as a child. Um, And so they go to bed. Um, their final child, their 10th child, he was deployed with the army at the time. So he's completely safe. Well, as safe as you can be on deployment, depending on this time period. Um, but like, he was at least I believe the war the was over by December of 45. Okay, cool. We're, I'm bad at history here. So around 1 a.m., the house is in, like, the house is in flames. There's a fire. George, Jenny, and four of their children. Sylvia, she slept with her parents because she's like two at the time. Um, Then you got George Jr., Marion, and John. Marion was asleep in the living room. And then George and John, they were asleep upstairs. They all managed to get out. Um, George Jr. and John, they, they got out with singes, like their hair is singed. And so the other five, they're just not outside. They don't know where these kids are. So George, he goes in through one of the downstairs windows, tries to find them, but he can't see anything. The smoke's bad. The fire's bad. So he gets out, um, and he's like, okay, well, my sons, they came from upstairs, so maybe they're upstairs hiding in a closet or something. So he goes, and he looks for his ladder to go climb through one of the upstairs windows instead of running up the stairs like a normal, like, perfectly smart smart guy you're doing the thing um however the ladder's missing it's like nowhere to be found so this Mm. is kind of weird Mm. so then he has this backup idea hey let's go and i'm gonna move one of the trucks because he works with trucks he had two of them and they had just been working hours earlier christmas eve so he knows they work um however neither one would start so this is kind of weird He's like, that's not right. They were literally just working basically two seconds ago. Not really, but you know. Right. Um, so he can't move the truck. So Marion, she's like, okay, it's time. I'm going to go run to a neighbor's house. I'm going to call the fire department. She can't reach the operator. That's not good. Like, I get it's Christmas morning <laughs> and you were probably at a party, but there should be someone working. Like, you are a 911 operator. So we don't like you. And then so the na- there was another neighbor who saw the fire and they're like, okay, I'm going to go ahead, give a call, try and reach. Um, still can't contact anyone. So that very neighbor, she drives two and a half miles into town to go see, like go hunt down the, ch- the fire chief. Right. And she's like, hey, there's a fire. It's bad. Oh, um. <clears throat> You gotta go put it out, like, right now. Um, And so he activates their fire alarm, which is a phone tree, calls up everyone, 
And at this point, it's like 1.30, 2 a.m. probably. Um, nobody arrives until 8 a.m. Mm. Like, it's two and a half miles between town and this house. What is your problem? It's Christmas morning. They're all opening I, gifts. I'm, I'm guessing the fire's pretty much out by 8 a.m. Yeah, the entire house was destroyed in 45 minutes. Right. Okay. Um, and so George and Mom Jenny, they're like, okay, these kids got to be dead. Like, I mean, they weren't, as far as they know, they couldn't get out. Like, there's nothing. Right. Um, however, there were no remains found, and there would have been remains. Like, even just, like, like their skeleton. There should have been Bones something. or something, yeah. Yeah, and so Jenny was just really confused. Like, if they died in the fire, there would there should be something, right? Correct. So she, um, she does uh, this experiment, experiment with chicken bones, beef joints, pork chop bones. So, you know, like, the, these bones are very thick, and they're definitely not as thick as, like, human bones. Mm. So, like... If these bones are still here after a fire, then, like, like something's... They like, weren't there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, like, if they're not there, then they... Like, chances are, who knows? Okay. So, All right. Well, quickly quickly go yes. through the odd moments leading up to the fire. Yes. So, uh, there was a stranger um, in the fall of 45. He came up, and he's looking for, like, hauling work and, like... He goes around the back and he sees these two, uh, like, fuse boxes. And he's like, oh, those are going to start a fire someday. However, just, like, maybe a few weeks beforehand, he had, like, George, he had already got, like, everything tested by the power company saying, oh, everything's good to go. Like, you're basically in perfect shape. Nothing should ever happen. And then also around that same time, this other man tried to sell the family life insurance but George said no, and this guy just gets angry. Like, that was so irrational. Like, his response was great. Your house is going up in smoke, and your children are going to be destroyed. You are going to be paid for the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. And George had actually immigrated as a child, young teen from Italy. So mm. he's well known in the Italian community over there. Yeah. And they and know, he like. And he didn't like Mussolini. Yeah. So, he he thought it was kind of weird, but he brushed off the threat. Like, he just told him, no, I'm not buying your life insurance. And so, then, a few days before Christmas, the older Sodder children, they had seen this creepy dude just, like, watching the younger children get home from school. Mm. Which is really odd. Mm-hmm. So, so many great, like, suspects are already happening from the first couple of months. And then around 12.30 on Christmas morning, um, Jenny, she's awoken by a phone call. And, she, like, she doesn't recognize the voice. They're asking for some person that she doesn't even know. And she's like, hey, you got the wrong number. And she hangs so up. So that was before the fire broke out. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. However, she also notices all the downstairs lights are on, which is kind of weird. Mm. Curtains are open. The front door's unlocked, and she sees Marion asleep on the couch. She's like, this is kind of odd. So she turns all of it off, closes the like curtains, locks the door. She starts to go back to bed, and as she's just getting back to sleep, she ends up hearing this loud thud on the roof. 
and then something starts rolling, which is kind of weird, you know? Like, it's it's like 12.45 at this point. And shortly later, the next time she wakes up, well, that her house is on fire. Yeah. So she's yep. not having a very good night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, not a very good night. So later on, like... As they're getting all of the inspections done, a right. telephone repairman, he takes a look and he's like, your wires were cut. They These do not look burnt at all. Ooh. So, Ooh. yeah, not electrical like the police investigator said. We don't like you. We don't like the fire chief. Um, and even a witness said that they saw a man um, at the scene during the fire taking a block and tackle that is used to remove car engines. Like, the, that guy probably did it. Also, probably the guy who called looking for some... <coughs> so, so okay, so there's several s- reported sightings of these yes. children that are missing. Uh, George and Janine hire a private investigator, uh, but they never hear anything more. So, uh, yeah. what, what's, what's your opinion? What happened here, Avery? My opinion, it has, like, I think whoever made that phone call that morning had something to do with it. Uh, and, at the 1245 phone call. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because that's kind of weird to be calling someone like, yeah, that person was at a party, but why are you calling someone at like 1230 in the morning, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's so, a little weird. So you're you're saying you think these, these children were actually... Uh, Taken, yeah, and and their parents never saw them again. Yeah, and like they did receive a message, like a picture years later when um, one of them was about twenty years old, um, saying, "Hey, I love brother brother so and so," with his name, and she's just like, "Oh, I have to look into this. There's no actual return address or anything, um, but we have to look into this." And once they hired a new PI. Like, the P.I. went missing on that trip. Like, they never <laughs> heard from that guy again. So they were kidnapped, like, absolutely. Yep. yep. And even All right. Sylvia believes so. There you go. You can stop the music now, Avery. That was True Crime Tuesday with our crack with a K producer, Avery Dill. Good job, Avery. Thanks. See, Cam, aren't you glad you're here on a Tuesday? I hate true crime so much. That was the worst thing. Well, I was telling Avery when I walked in today, literally she shares with me like that Google Doc that explains everything about the case. And I read it yeah. at like 1 a.m. last night, which like, yeah, probably a bad decision on my part. And then so I read it and I was kind of interested or like creeped out by it or whatever. But then I went to like the actual link where she sourced all the material from, right? Like the Smithsonian, you know, whatever that website is. Read through all that. Was even more sufficiently creeped out. So then I just had to do things for like 30 more minutes just so I wasn't going to sleep <laughs> right after reading all that stuff. Oh, I hate I hate like mystery stuff so much. It just creeps me out so much, man. <laughs> I was thinking like my apartment, my like three my third floor apartment in Lexington yeah. was going to get napalmed like that house yeah. in Fayetteville, yeah. no. West Virginia. But no, you would have been uh, fine I, last week with the <laughs> with the bludgeoning of the mob case. Yeah, I'm cool with just like straight up murders, and like, if it's straightforward, that's fine. It's this weird ethereal space where anything could have happened that really just uh, rubs me the wrong way for some reason. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, in the time that we have left, and I really enjoyed the promo for the V show, 
doesn't <laughs> sounds like they don't have a clue what they're going to talk about for three <laughs> hours. But um, I want I, I would like to know. I I think what you do and and it's. Uh, it amazes me, Cam, that there is this much interest in what you do. But as I said earlier, you know about a three-star recruit that people are talking about in the nineteen or the excuse me, two thousand twenty-five class. How how much preparation? How much work do you have to do uh, since you've taken Ben's place and and basically cover recruiting? Uh, for UK basketball. It's quite a bit of work, I won't lie, and, and I didn't do a ton of this stuff in college. Like when I was at Indiana, I was covering you know every sport under the sun at Indiana, but I really never did too much recruiting stuff. And obviously, this was quite a change, even from doing it, um, you know, at the at the Kentucky women's basketball level, just because there's not as much of an appetite for it. It's not like a full time position, you know, at the paper that kind of thing. But yeah, it's a lot of you know just reading being aware of who's a rising prospect, who's a falling prospect. It, it helps that there's so many sites that are purely recruiting dedicated, right? There's like On3, Rivals, 247, uh, this thing called like the Recruiting Services Composite Index, which uses all those numbers and, and puts and like spits out one kind of ranking for them. So there's a plethora of information out there. There's also a ton of you know websites. If you just Google like Prep Hoops Kentucky, there's a site dedicated to just Kentucky basketball or to Kentucky high school players, right? And like what their recruiting status is, like Hoops Prep Nation. You know, you type in these kind of buzzwords or keywords and there's a bill sites out there of people that are running kind of their own micro environment um, recruiting updating pages you know kids who are playing locally at a certain school or in a certain state and that get like hyper aggressively cover them which is good because it means that there's all this information out there on the internet that I get to be the the benefactor from so it's, it's a lot of reading and just being aware of like what's happening in different pockets of the country. Something that really does help from a Kentucky perspective is that Kentucky obviously being an elite level historic program is pretty, you know, picky and choosy on who actually gets a Kentucky offer. I know that's been a shift that's occurred the last couple of years with John Calipari offering kids at a younger stage of their high school careers compared to what he did previously. But so there really isn't that many kids that have to be super honed in, trained and focused on, only because like for example in the 2024 class, I think Kentucky has like 14, maybe 13 kids that have a scholarship offer right now, which is a big number. But obviously, each kid, each kid, excuse me, has a different level of interest from Kentucky. Sometimes the interest is mutual. Sometimes it's not. Um, and so from that, it even gets further distilled down to where there's really four or five big names that I have to pay attention to on a day-to-day basis. So from that standpoint, it's manageable, which is good because they let me kind of cook and do a bunch of different other things at the Herald Leader. I kind of head up most of our soccer coverage as well. I'm a huge soccer guy. Uh, I've kind of also taken over the reins, uh, no pun intended, from Ben in the horse racing stuff. Like I'm there about, you go. I'm about to go back home and do some uh, some derby prep coverage for us. There was uh, three stakes over on the weekend, or three, excuse me, yep. Kentucky Derby preps races over on the yep. weekend. And I guess, wait, I, I never asked you this. How'd the horse sale go when I was filling in for you last week? Did it go well? You know, it. yeah, you filled in Monday while I was at the horse sale. It, uh, it just put a cap on a perfect weekend for me. Oh, that's me. great. And the horses sold extremely well, exceeded our expectations, and uh, we we had a we had a really good sale. We had a really good trip to Kentucky. So oh, that's it, wonderful. Uh, yeah, yeah, it went it went well. Um, you you mentioned something that I that I'm interested in, and that is Cal had a reputation there. He kind of 
you know, snuck in at the last minute and got these kids. What and and now he's offering kids two and three years out. What what changed? Yeah, that's a good question, honestly. I think part of it just has to do with, you know, adaption to the times, like offers are coming early. Every recruitment is different, right? That's the biggest cliche in the recruiting industry. But some kids like to commit early. Some kids like to commit later. Um, there's obviously a lot of kids that now have the potential to kind of be, you know, a swing prospect, right? You could stay in 24. You could class up to 23. You could stay in 22, class up to 21, whatever. So offering a kid earlier, being there for a longer period of their commitment does get, or a longer period of their recruitment, I should say, does give you kind of the inside track to, to be there. You know, when they're deciding if they want to go earlier or later, maybe you, you realize that your your team is going to be deficient in a certain area a year ahead of schedule, and you can convince the kid to reclassify if he's got all his grades in order and you know can handle playing college basketball at that level. But I think part of that's just an adaptation, right? And there's also so many other avenues that players can choose to go to now in terms of Overtime Elite, in terms of the G League Ignite, in terms of going overseas, playing in Australia, playing in New Zealand. There's a bunch of different ways that exist now to reach the NBA and to become an NBA draft pick that didn't exist even five, six, seven years ago. Mm. So with that, recruiting in the strictly pure, straight-line college basketball level becomes something that has to adapt, right? you got to change the way you go about things. So I think a lot of that is what you can tie Calipari and being in earlier on players for. Like Kentucky offered a 2025 kid, Darren Peterson, out of Ohio. Kid's a bucket. Kid's really, really good. But they offered him like last fall. And so the fact that they got ahead of him on that kind of shows the, the shifting times that we've got. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting, and uh, I I commend you for that job, and uh, I also commend you for filling in today. We really really appreciate it. Give your uh, give, give your Twitter thing again. Oh, it's a, at c d r u m m o n d nine seven at c drummond ninety seven. But yeah, thanks for having me. Absolute blast. Yeah. Thanks to everyone for listening. Jack, Pepcakes, everyone. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Cam. We appreciate it. Mike Gandolfo will be back again tomorrow filling in for Louie. We hope you have a great Valentine's Day, and we hope that you get to spend it with somebody special in your life. This has been Islin Louie, ESPN. Have a great day, everybody. Metro College is a program that helps students pay for tuition, and I didn't believe it. You have to work third shift, five days a week. It's a great and rewarding thing when you graduate. I would do it all over again, just like I just did. You know those buddies who magically become medical professionals when you're not at the top of your game? The ones who say, come on, muscle through it, but then also say, hey, you should probably see my specialist. Or surgery or pain meds. It's almost always false, false, and false. Athletico's physical therapists, the same therapists who work with professional athletes, can tackle those little aches and pains from the start, before they become big ones. So next time, don't believe everything you hear. Instead, start with Athletico. Schedule your free assessment at athletico.com.